Real Talk with Grace Redmond features conversations with fierce and fabulous people from Grace's community and circle who inspire others with their stories of overcoming challenges to create amazing. Grace is an entrepreneur and success coach who works with individuals to diminish their negative mental chatter, boost their confidence, achieve their goals, and increase their prosperity mindset. Get ready for a series of Anything Goes Conversations with remarkable men and women that will get you jazzed for life's unlimited possibilities of success, freedom, and fun. Welcome to Real Talk with Grace Redmond. Hey loves, it's Grace Redmond. Thank you for joining us today on Real Talk, where my guest is Chelsea Sutton. Chelsea is the founder and CEO of The Consultant Agency, a company that builds teams of marketing professionals for purpose-driven brands. Chelsea graduated top of her class in entrepreneurship and business management, so she takes a strategic business-driven approach to marketing. It's not just about what's trendy, it's about what works. For, from startups to multi-million dollar companies, the consultant agency has managed over 300,000 followers, achieved 250,000 impressions per year, and impacted over $200,000 a year in new revenue growth. Chelsea, originally from Buffalo, New York, grew up in North Carolina and has been in Arizona since 2011. Chelsea travels across the country for hobby career horse show announcing, which I love. Love it. Chelsea married her high school sweetheart of over 13 years, Travis, who partnered with Chelsea in consultant agency in 2017. Girl, I am so excited to have you here with me today. Thank you. I'm so honored to be here. And hearing hearing that bio read out loud in front of me, it, like as you're reading, I'm like, wow, this person sounds cool. This person sounds cool. Oh my gosh, that's me. Yeah. So yeah thanks for having me. This is super cool. For sure. For sure. And I have so many questions, you know, because I find you so fascinating and I fell in love with you when I met you at Sunny Don Johnson's and my mastermind meeting. And here comes this, you know, incredible, gorgeous woman with this, I don't even remember the color hair you had. I think it was purple that time. And I was like, I'm in love. <laughs> I was in love with you too, Grace. It was great. It was great. It was love at first sight. So I'm excited to have you here today. So like I said, I have so many questions um, just from your bio. There's so many nuggets there. I love how you partnered with Travis in 2016, you know, 2017 and, you know, working together in the agency. And I adore Mike, you know, my partner. And but I, I don't know if I'd ever be able to work with him. So I'd love to hear, like, how's it how have you made it successful? The two of you working together in the business? That's a great question. Um, Somebody said to me recently, just a few months ago, working with your husband must be the hardest part of your day. And my like instantaneous response was working with my husband is the easiest part of my day. And I'm super blessed because I have to give, I'm pointing over there because he normally sits on that side of the office. I'm super blessed that part of the reason it works is because of who he is, right? There are certain personality types, even though they might work in a marriage that wouldn't work in a business relationship. And uh, he certainly is one that works with me. So I'll give you a little bit of the backstory and then I'll tell you how we make it work or at least how we make it work right now. <laughs> so Travis and I both, we met in high school, did not date throughout high school. We, we grad, you know, at, at the point of graduation like that, April, May of graduation started to date each other and we were going separate ways for college. So we did college separate for the first year. I transferred back and went to college with him. We moved across the country to Arizona State together. We transferred to Arizona State. 
went to Arizona State together and started our careers in very separate paths. He um, got a, an accounting degree, went on to get his master's in tax accounting and took the very corporate route. I took the very entrepreneurial route, uh, got a business degree, got an entrepreneurship degree, worked for a few small businesses for a little while and then started my own agency not long after college. I started running my agency in 2013 and he was just a, he was just a boyfriend, right? And he was, you know, there to talk me through the difficult things on the weekends or on, you know, at nights and at dinners um, and would listen to what I was dealing with. But it was, it was nearly just that 2016 rolls around. So I start the agency in 2013, formally in 2013, 2016 rolls around and he decides to leave his corporate job. He was at a uh, multi-billion dollar tech company where he was doing some tax accounting and he was like one of a million, you know, didn't matter in the corporate structure kind of deal. And he was just going to leave his company and go to another one, right? Like, I'm just going to quit this one and find a different one that's got a better culture, yada, yada. At the same time, the agency was growing. And one of the core competencies that we now offer in-house, we didn't have then, which was web development. And so I would hire that out. I would bring in, you know, strategic vendors and that kind of thing. He quits his job. He's got a two or three week hiatus. He's talking to recruiters. He's applying for things here and there. And I have a client who has a big web glitch and they need web help quickly. You know, not like can wait three weeks for a vendor. They need it overnight. And long story short, Travis says, I learned coding in my accounting degree because they had to learn database design for, for uh, accounting purposes so that they can understand how to dig out data which who knew, right? Like, no, I, I would never have put those two together. No, never, never. And when he said that, I was literally like, you, you are lying to me. Mm, you're <laughs> and, uh, and then he starts like, no, 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 I know HTML and I know CSS and I know some JavaScript. And I'm like, okay, okay. Um, now we're at this time, we are engaged to paint the, paint the emotional picture, right? We're engaged, which is a whole nother thing, right? When we're engaged and he comes home, and he, when he was working for the company full-time, he comes home and says, I'm going to go on a weekend trip. I need to do some soul searching. And I was like, pardon me? Soul searching about what, right? Like I'm thinking relationships and it, it was about his work, right? And so <laughs> I was like, mm-hmm. um, yes, we create stories, right? Right. <laughs> and uh, so anyways, he comes home, he quits his job, you know, we're engaged, which I had full confidence. He'd, he'd figured out that I was not worried. Um, and he's like, let me just take a stab at it while I'm in between positions. And I was like, hey, look, you've got you've to be able to deliver what I could get from any one of my web vendors. And if you can't do that, like, I don't want to compromise the quality for the client, which that in and of itself, like that kind of conversation, he could handle, right? Like he rose to the occasion. There, I know some men in my life that I love dearly that if I had had that conversation with them, it'd been like, mm, screw you, Chelsea, right? Totally. <laughs> right? Totally. So he could handle it and he did. And he, he took that as like a watch me, right? Like, okay, I'll rise. And he did, and he knocked it out of the park and he did a phenomenal job. He blew them away. The website came out really great. And within weeks, two, three weeks, I had another conversation with another client who we had been working together for some time. They had a decent website. It wasn't great, but it wasn't bad. And they were like, you know, we've really been thinking about a new website, but we want to do it with you guys. Now I haven't told anybody about Travis. I haven't, nothing. And it just, you know, one thing started to lead to another. I go home. I'm like, hey, I had this conversation with this client. 
would you like to work with? It was a health and wellness company that focuses in holistic massage and uh, Twisted Tree. Love you guys. And he was like, yes, yes, I love it. I want to do it. So he took on that web project. And after that one, um, you know, we sat down at dinner and he was like, hey, I like, I'm really enjoying this. And I was like, well, I'm not slowing down. There's more business to be had. We're growing. I had hired two new people, two new freelancers that year just to help with smaller projects. And so I had full confidence that there would be the work, right? The work would come. And so at that stage, again, we're engaged at that stage, he was working for me. Right. And it was very, we went into the relationship. We went into the business relationship, knowing that, right. Like he was going to work for me on the web dev side of things. It was a very like your expert here because I'm not, I don't know coding. I had built a few sites, but it's not my forte. I'm not a details person. So for me, it was a great compliment because I wanted to hand something like that off. And for him, um, he wanted to take ownership of something and not just be this small, you know, cog in this big corporate wheel. And so it was this unique compliment at this moment in time. Move forward a year and a half later, we get married and we took a very holistic approach to marriage. Like when, and we talked about it, it was very open in terms of, you know, when we get married, we're partners in life. And whether that means we're working together in business or not, it doesn't matter, right? We are just, that's the way we're going to approach approach our life and approach our marriage. And so um, I always had the perspective of if he wants to stay and work for us, great. And if he wants to go back to the corporate world or have his own career, great. Like those two things, I was fine either way. It was cool to me that he was working with us, but I was fine either way. And I think he was fine either way, which is maybe why it worked, right? Um, he liked working with me. He liked working with us, but he could go back to someone else's job too. When we got married, um, I decided to, I mean, I asked him, you know, like partner, let's partner, like you should be a partner in this. We're partnering in life. And even though you can stay focused and stay in your lane on the web dev and creative side, um, you you're doing half the work, right? Because <laughs> naturally, you know, if I have big corporate level decisions to make executive level decisions to make, I should say, I'm of course talking to him about it. Right. Sure. Um, so there was that blend of even though he was doing an employee level um, thing, he was becoming partnered just by the nature of of being in the business and now seeing it day in and day out. And what I realized, I've known this about him in our relationship, and this is why the business part works, but it highlighted itself as we started to work together. We are complete opposites. And from a business standpoint, that creates a really great um it creates a really great dynamic because the way I see things, he sees them differently. And so he gets to, you know, challenge me with those things sometimes or position them to me and, Hey, have you thought about it this way? Or, you know, what about approaching it this way and vice versa? He'll see things one way. And uh, to me, it's like, how can you even see that perspective of it? And I can bring, bring it from another angle. Um, and our personalities jive well enough. I'm the very outgoing boisterous one. He is very talkative to me, not to others, um, but he has a more like think it through than speak approach. And so it works. It works very well. And we've just learned how to compliment each other. I think, you know, people ask me all the time, like, could I give advice? We've only been doing this together for whatever that is, five or six years. Uh, so we're still, you know, early in it. But the one piece of advice that I would give to somebody trying to do it is you've got to have clear lines of delineation between what your lane is and what your lane is, even though you're going to, you know, 
complement each other and like you should be headed in the same direction and driving down the same freeway it helps a lot when you're not trying to both be the same person mm -hmm. well it sounds like you like you said there's a yin and a yang there and then it's also about setting your boundaries and it sounds like with you and travis you have a clear line of you know communication so that, well, that's important and, um, and Travis is amazing. I mean, he's done so much, you know, for, for Dare to Achieve and in my business. And I, I call him and he's on it right away. Like he like he's taken so much off my plate, you know, just like you have. So yeah, Travis has been um amazing. So it's again, what a blessing that it worked out like that. It sounded like it was divine timing. Very much divine timing. Yes. And I mean, I love corporate. I mean, corporate supported me for so long and you know, my staffing business, it's it's necessary, it's amazing. And before I started my staffing business, I worked in corporate in a very large, same thing, billion dollar company. And like Travis, I felt like a number. So that's why entrepreneurship, you know, for me, just like for you has been so fulfilling, which brings me to like, what motivated you to start consultant agency, you know, several years ago that's a great question um and to back up and resonate what you said corporate is such a unique structure and for travis he had worked two large corporate jobs before venturing into this entrepreneurial space the first one humongous uh, largest multi-family housing company i believe in the country huge company based here in phoenix and he loved it right and then the second one didn't love so much and to your point, right, there's a lot of differences in cultures and um, sure. some are great and some are not so great. Um, so yes, I hear you on that and I resonate with you on that. Uh, and I have some really great friends in corporate that I, I love yeah. and adore as well. And, and we need, I mean, we need both. We need entrepreneurship. We need, you know, corporate. I'm yes. definitely not looking down on it at all. It's just for my personality. It's like I wanted to um, be an influencer and, and have a say and be involved. And so that's why, you know, but also I come from a family of entrepreneurs too. <clears throat> so, and maybe also because I have a hard time taking direction. Well, that's not true. I took direction really well. I always got great reviews. <laughs> <laughs> you just probably, you probably don't like taking direction when the direction's not any good, right? That's what it is. Exactly. <laughs> and when I'm like, that's not making sense. Yep. Um, I went to my, so my degree from Arizona State, go WP Carey, loved that program so much, was a business management program. They had a concentration in entrepreneurship, which sounds kind of fluffy, but I chose it very intentionally, I'm a very strategic person. So even when I was in college and I transferred into Arizona State, I was looking at, they had six different concentrations, sustainability, accounting, marketing, business administration, entrepreneurship, there might've been one or two others. And what I did instead of just like, which one sounds good is I actually looked at the course loads of those concentrations. And I looked at the differences in the courses that they required. The entrepreneurship course required, I was moving in as a incoming junior. I knew I'd have to do an extra senior year because I had credits to catch up on. So I was going to do a little over two, two and a half years at Arizona State. And I thought, okay, if I've got to take some extra classes, which one of these concentrations has the classes that I'd like to be taking that will service me in this brand new state, in this brand new marketplace? You know, how will it help me actually create a career here? Entrepreneurship, the unique courses that entrepreneurship program had were consulting courses. 
and there were there were there was a capstone course, a main consulting course that we had to take before we could graduate. We had to get a C or above in the class, which to me, I'm like a C. That's for losers. Like I'm an A student. <laughs> um, we we yeah, a little bit. Um, and I was like, oh my gosh, the idea for consulting was great. This was also to give you context. This was 2000 and it was 2011 that I transferred in. So we're on the backside of that 2008 crash where it was that time in place where everybody was wanting experience, but, but wanting to hire cheap college kids, but college kids didn't have experience. So I had a unique college time because everybody was like, get all the experience you can in college because nobody's hiring, right? Hiring was still very tight. Finances were tight. So for me, when I saw those consulting courses on the course list, I was like, absolutely. Like I want that program. So I took the entrepreneurship program, absolutely loved it. And it was very hands-on. I took this consulting course where there was, I don't know, 30, 40 kids in the class and they put us on teams of three or four and paired us with businesses. So there were 10 different businesses around the Valley that were basically failing. They were on their way to doom. And if they didn't turn around in six to 12 months, they'd probably be closing their doors. And we, as a consulting team had to go in and analyze their entire business accounting, marketing, culture, hiring, uh, managerial style, um, financial backing, you know, all the things, and then figure out where their problems were and then tell them how to fix it all within a six month course load. Damn. I loved it, Grace. Like, what do you love about it? Oh my God. Well, that's such a great question. A few different things. I loved, I loved working with a business owner and it felt like every time I heard a business owner's story, how they started, what they started, what kind of business they're running, it lit me on fire for their business. So like feeling that entrepreneurial fuel, fueled me. that was the first thing that I loved. The second thing that I loved was truly strategically looking at their business from an outsider looking in and being able to say like, oh, I see some holes here. Let, let me help you fix that. Right. Like that felt very fulfilling because I learned quickly that a lot of businesses I mean, all of us, right? We are doing what we can with what we have. And we're so focused often, good entrepreneurs are so focused on servicing their customer that they miss the, the holes in between. And sometimes that's okay, right? You can let a few gaps go, but sometimes that, those gaps might be what's crippling you, right? Well, as a business owner, like you, there's two ways of working the business. You're working in the business or on the business. And I feel like an entrepreneur, we get stuck on working in the business that we miss the on the business and that keeps us from expanding and growing, which that's where you come in. Yes, yes, you couldn't have said it better, absolutely. Then as a, as a college kid, I didn't have that language in my wheelhouse, but I, through that very first consulting project, learned exactly that. And that part was very, it was very cool to me feeling like I could come in. I knew I was young. I knew I didn't have a ton of experience in every category, right? I'm not an expert accountant, not an expert marketer. I'm not an expert manager, right? But I can look at the outside of this and pretty quickly identify some gaps and then put those in front of you. Um, I also really liked the process of doing that with no judgment, right? Like being able to come in and these entrepreneurs that we would work with, I ended up doing two consulting projects I took another one, a master's level one half for that because I was obsessed. Um, and there's, they're pretty nervous, right? I mean, these are in my perspective back then, these are high level business people that are making, you know, a quarter million, three quarters million. I'm thinking about the two businesses back then. One was an over a million dollar business, but they're, they're getting ready to go through what feels like an audit, right? Like they're handing over their business and saying, 
find my problems. Well, that's an uncomfortable, that's an uncomfortable process. Yeah. There's embarrassment and shame there. <laughs> yes. All those things. And to realize that I could come in and not only yes, identify some weaknesses and help them fix them, but I could do that in a way that actually gave them excitement and confidence for where that could take their business rather mm -hmm. than to live in that shame and guilt. Right. That felt unbelievable for me. Um, very fueling and like exciting. And I would wake up, I would stay up late at night. Like I, <laughs> I remember going to the club with some friends and while we're going to order drinks, I'm thinking about this one coffee shop that we were helping and literally, and my friends are like, like, you're not really here with us. And I was like, yeah, I'm working on this consulting project. And they're like, Chelsea, we're like, we're out dancing. What are you doing? <laughs> oh my God. That's totally me. I'll be, you know, something, you know, at a concert. And then I'm like, stop, stop. Cause it's, it's so fun and exciting. It is. It is exciting. Um, and I think when you see business from a place of like, I truly see business as, as an extension of my ministry, right. As an extension of my, my purpose, how I serve people in the world is often through my business. And so when you see any business that way, it makes those kind of things exciting, not as shameful, right. Or guilt driven or problem oriented. Um, so yes, that's kind of a long story to, oh, I love uh, it's beautiful because what I, you know, excuse me, it's like you basically, you know, flipped it to where, okay, you're going in to these entrepreneurs who are struggling. And instead of going in with like, oh my gosh, you're struggling. How could you get here? You go in with, okay, this is an opportunity to expand and grow and, and fill the gaps. So instead of like, what have you been doing? It's like, what can we do to move forward? Absolutely. Absolutely. What a blessing for them. Absolutely. And both of the businesses that I worked on my senior years at ASU still exist today, which I am so proud of. So proud of. Yes. That's all you, girl. <laughs> well, I mean, it takes from them too, but how exciting. Yes, it was very cool. I also learned a great lesson. I, I really would love to record like, you know, some type of TED talk or something because one of the, one of the businesses that I worked with back then was a coffee shop. And it was the oldest independently owned coffee shop in Tempe, which is one of the cities here in Phoenix. And I learned so many great lessons, not only from the owners, but also from doing the project. And one of the big lessons that I learned from that one, which was very different from the other project that I had was a tech staffing firm and um, very different businesses. So obviously very different oh. lessons learned. But one of the big lessons that I learned from the coffee shop, uh, and it was very cool to do those projects together because I got to see, I got to work with the entrepreneurs in contrast, right? And to your point about, here's your problems, here's how we can fix them, here's how we can grow. One of the other things I had to learn was identifying and understanding what an entrepreneur actually wants out of their business. Because those things are different business to business, right? The tech staffing company and what they wanted you know, they might have wanted to bring on five new employees every year for the next three years so that they could be doing X amount of more contracts, more recruiting, you know, to get here or there. The coffee shop, and it took me, it took me a while to learn this. We originally were looking at their business in terms of how do you, number one, start making money? And then number two, how do you scale? How do you make more money so that you can step out of the business and the business can be running itself? And after we created suggestions for that, I realized that's not actually what they want. They don't want three locations. They don't want a drive-through with tons of traffic. What they want to know is how they can come, the two, 
two owners they're probably in their 60s or 70s now how can how they can come to work sit with their guests at their table drinking their coffee between 6 and 9 a.m serve you know they physically want to make the coffee themselves pour the espresso shots foam the milk and and make money they, they want to be able to pay their bills put some extra money away so that when retirement comes in five years they're fine but they weren't trying to open another location or you know fund their kids college like nope they weren't trying to do all of that they had a different why completely, completely. it's funny and, i oh well i didn't own the coffee shop my brother did and i worked there so i can relate to the coffee and of course i've owned an agency and i used to beat myself up in regards to the agency I'm like why wow, i should have opened more offices and then I'm like, wait a second, but that wasn't my why. You know, I was raising a family and focusing on my young kids. So that's why I didn't open all of, you know, these other um, locations because it wasn't my why. Absolutely. So, I, you know, the, the why exercise that you've done um, with us and in other groups that I've seen you do is Simon Sinek's, you know, drill down. And the why is so important. So I'm really glad that you brought that up. Eminently important. And another lesson that I continue to learn, and this is the hard, you know, um, I posted yesterday and I talked about how I'm kind of a rule follower. I like to have, you know, structure and rules and do this step first and this step second. And when you talk about your why, that's not a, that's not a formulated process, right? Realizing why we behave the way we do, the things that we think and how that manifests into behavior, uh, the goals that we have shift all the time. <laughs> All the, all the time. And so um, to the point, you know, I'll go back to this coffee shop and use them as an example. When we sat down with them in the first two or three meetings, of, I didn't even have the, the why people down process developed yet, but if we had a great instructor and he was very clear about your first meeting or two needs to be talking about their goals as a business, where they want to go as a business and where they want to go as business owners. So part of, I'm sure where I am now is from that philosophy and they couldn't tell me in those first two meetings, we don't want to scale. They actually probably said, we want to scale, right? They probably used those words. And it took me six months. We actually spent, we graduated in December and the team and I, it was mostly me and one other guy on the team, worked with them until February. We worked with them three months longer than graduation because we, we were so invested and we were so in love with what they were doing. We wanted to help. It took me that long. It took me the duration of the project to realize from their behavior, from more conversations, from talking about their kids, from talking about what they want to do with their grandkids in the afternoon. You know, it took many, many conversations to actually get to their why, because it was so, and it was real for them. It wasn't that they were ever being inauthentic. It was just that they've never thought about it in the way that we were trying to siphon it. And, yeah. and that's very real, um, sure. very real. For sure. No, I love that because a lot of times we think we want something for a certain reason and we really don't know what, you know, because it's unconscious. And typically yes. when you drill down, it's, I find it, it's more like you want to feel joy or freedom or, or safety. It's, it's never what we think it is. That's right. That's 100% so, correct. So I love that. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you have an incredible, you know, agency and I know being an entrepreneur is not easy what would you say has been your biggest challenge and how have you overcome that? Oof. Um, the two challenges that come to mind first, when you ask that question are the challenge of, this is a very practical business challenge in our case, because we're an agency and because we're in the marketing space, 
understanding the appropriate time to take someone from 1099 status to employment status is a unique challenge that we are constantly juggling. Um, it's pretty easy when it's obvious and it's really difficult when it's gray because of the type of work that we're doing, right? How frequently are you using a photographer before you think about bringing that photographer in full time, right? Mm -hmm. How frequently do you use a um, administrative assistant before that assistant goes from part-time to full-time, those kind of things. That's been a unique challenge, especially over the last 18 months, partly because of the 2020 that everybody had and the volatility in business there. Um, but I think at, at an agency in general, that's always a challenge. The other challenge that came to mind as soon as you asked that question was turning off mentally, turning off <laughs> which I'm sure you, and you might have some great advice for, which I would love to hear turning off from two standpoints. I literally never turn off, which there's, I mean, I enjoy that because it's, I'm constantly thinking, I'm constantly iterating, but I have to force myself to at least like close the box for a minute for the sake of my relationship with my husband, mm -hmm. for the sake of my relationship with my family and, and some of my friends. Um, I, I realize that there is, you know, other things that are, direct beneficiaries of me turning off or not turning off, in which case that I need to, that's, that's a challenge that I battle daily. I hear you on that. And I battle that daily too. I've come a long way. You know, um, I used to be, you know, work via hustle and grind and now it's more ease and grace. I still have a challenge turning off, but like you said, it's a work in progress. It's like every day I feel like it gets better. And some days I don't want to turn off. I'm, I'm enjoying it. So I could totally relate to, I could actually relate to both of your challenges. Because then I think it took me, you know, 20 years to figure out same thing, the staff, do I bring them in? Do I, how do I do this? And it's um, also a work in progress too. There's, you know, as, as an entrepreneur, like you said, things are always changing. And like 2020 taught us, we need to consist, consistently be able to change and pivot. Absolutely. Me, um, what was one of the greatest lessons you learned in 2020 for business or marketing? Ooh. Ooh. Greatest lessons learned in 2020. Um, listen to your customer, which was a lesson I've learned for many. I've known that for some, but it was hammered home in 2020. Um, let me rephrase that. Your customer's needs change just like yours do. And staying in tune with those needs as they change was a big lesson I learned in 2020. Um, Here's another one that I learned. When you know a decision has to be made, don't delay in making it. You gotta, you gotta make it and then you gotta move, right? You gotta shift. Mm -hmm. um, Moving. Mm -hmm. uh, from a marketing standpoint, it, it certainly, 2020 was a super unique opportunity because we saw huge behavior shifts in consumers in a way that since I started what I was doing. I started consulting in 2012, which were those college projects. Um, so from 2012 to 2020, right, those eight years, I have never seen consumer behavior shifts at the marketing level, right? So interaction with content, interaction with uh, uh, sales material, interaction at the purchasing and conversion level. I've never seen such significant shifts in such a condensed amount of time like we did in 2020. And in talking to other marketers and business owners that were even around through like the 2008 crash, and even those who were around back in the 80s, they've said that 2020 still beat it. It still, you know, was above and beyond. 
that was a really unique opportunity for me as a marketer because it happened so quick and so fast. And in many ways, there are certain things we can measure, right? Like there were statistics about how people were consuming TV versus Facebook content during quarantine, right? And there are statistics about um, how people are spending their dollars, right? We track that by tax receipts and those kind of things. What there's not statistics about is how people feel about things mm. as they approach a, a, you know, a business decision. And so that, for example, that's, that's usually how they, sorry, that's usually how they make their decisions. It's based on emotion. 99% of the time, even if it's not a conscious emotional decision, there is an emotion driving that decision. Absolutely. That was a very, uh, it was a cool opportunity. It was mm, terribly stressful in the middle of it, but it was a very cool marketing opportunity and taught me a lot of lessons. One of the big lessons that was a shift for me from a marketing standpoint was, and I'll use a very specific example we've used because we do so much in our agency with social media and social media is such a phenomenal tool when used correctly. We use social media to do a lot of what we call social listening. So we look online in different places at where our consumers are and we look at how they're talking about a particular topic. So for example, we have a, uh, we do a lot in the hospitality space. So one of our verticals is restaurants and they were a very unique industry to work with through 2020 for all the reasons that are obvious. What we often would do is look in Facebook community groups in the city in which one of our restaurants might be in or in a neighborhood group, right? That might be 10,000 or 15,000 deep and see how they're talking about things, right? What are they saying about, so like in this year's context, we would look at what they're saying about um, when the state is ready to open up restaurants, right? And how they're talking about that. And in the very specific case that I'm thinking of, when we looked at these community groups, we were probably watching 30 to 40,000 people mm. conversationally, right? That were in the specific communities where our restaurants resided. Our restaurants are in the fine dining space. So that creates a, um, you know, nice compliment because you can understand where your target audience is, right? Who your target audience is. And everything that we were hearing from our, our typical social listening was saying, these consumers are not ready to come back to restaurants. They do not want restaurants to open. They think that this is going to spike COVID numbers, you know, and so much so we were getting, you know, we were reading certain contexts so much so that there was a, there was a point where I advised one of my restaurants, like this part of your community is this vehement. I fear that the backlash you might receive from opening would ruin your business. Wow. It was that significant. It was that passionate. It was that heated. It was that, um, it was, it, there was a, there was a point where it was bad. It was very bad. Um, I mean, hate comments. We were getting, we were getting direct messages to one of my restaurants before we even opened about like, you know, you're the reason people are dying and just very extreme emotion, extreme emotion. Now, that being said, um, one of the restaurants, you know, we took in all of the information. We listened. We thought we were listening to the customer and the business owner was very strategic and was very intention driven. And I think he did it literally the best way possible. Gave his staff the choice to whether to come back or not open with very limited capacity. I mean, did, did all the things correctly, but decided to open. And he told, I'll never forget. He said, Chelsea, I know that you're reading the data and that's what I pay you for. Thank you. Keep advising me. I am I'm following my heart. I'm following my intuition. And I believe there's a portion of my community that 
is ready to come back. And for this, for them, this is, this is, this is what they do. This is their gathering place. This is where they meet their family. This, I need to serve my community. And I oh, said, I, killed. I, I love him so oh. much. Um, he was right, Grace. He was so right. He was so, so right. And, um, and what I also found was that the, him opening in the way that he did, even though the rest of the community was, you know, from everything we were seeing from the data, they were, you know, upset and whatever, that wasn't actually, there was a big portion of them that weren't talking, right? There was a big portion of them that, of course, of course, right? Of course. And so it was, it was a unique lesson. Like the principle of listen to your customer has been with me since I started my agency, but realizing that listening to your customer doesn't always happen in obvious listening ways. There's, there's, mm -hmm. that intuition. And those times that I went against my intuition in business, mm, I lost. Mm -hmm. Yep. So that's a great story how intuition is really a big piece. And I love how you're open and you, you know, you listen to him. And I love how he listened to himself. Yes. And, and I loved that entire dynamic. Um, and I have learned from it since and now applied in so many other business relationships. I mean, you and me all the time, right? You'll say, Chelsea, what do you suggest? And I'll say, I suggest this, but Grace, it's got to feel right for you. Right. And you tell me I'm a feeler. And I love that you guys never put, you know, like get upset with me. Cause I'm like, I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm a feeler and, and, and it's all about intuition and I could feel it. Well, and I think that's actually when business owners can tap into that, that's where, that's where thrive comes from because we can recognize and from, a, from your marketing team, right. Um, we can tell you the data. We can tell you what we think fits for your brand. We can advise you. We can do all of those things, but you don't, we don't know your customer. Like, you know, your customer, right? Sure. We don't know ultimately at the core who you are and where you're trying to go. Like you do, right? We know what we know, but we don't know all of the things. And so uh, creating a relationship with clients like that, who have relationships with their business and with their customer like that is my favorite thing. And back to lessons learned in 2020, uh, learning how to lean into those, learning how to truly be a, um, you know, a partner with our clients like that is, is an amazing dynamic to have. And um, there were some great lessons learned in that regard from 2020. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, when I first started staffing, it was a challenge because I was focused. They told you, you know, be on top of your competition. So I was always like, what are they doing? And looking at the numbers and it was extremely, you know, um, extremely stressful, even though I was successful, it was, didn't feel good. So I made that decision. Like I'm going to run my own race and I'm not going to look at the numbers. What, it, what I'm going to focus on is the relationship with my clients and giving that personalized service and hearing them and listening to them. And, you know, that's what made, you know, us the top staffing firm in the Bay area, you know, for 20 plus years is because like you said, I listened and I built the relationships and I didn't listen to everything, you know, all what the industry said. Of course I had to look at metrics, but it wasn't about the metrics. It was like you said, I'm listening and hearing, you know, my clients. For sure. There's also a unique dynamic there. And this showed up with the restaurant example as well, but it would absolutely apply in your example of taking in information for the sake of guidance and advisory, you know, counsel, if you will, 
but not using that as the foundation for your decision, right? Mm -hmm. So like in the restaurants case, because we knew that so many in the community, maybe not everybody, but because we knew that many in the community were staying home, they were not ready for businesses to be open, so on and so forth. When we opened the restaurants, we didn't post about it for weeks, right? We, we were on social media talking about our chefs, or we were talking about the to-go meals that we were offering, or we were talking about some very other like community-driven things, some, some charity initiatives we were doing, but we didn't mention that we were open. We didn't talk about the seating arrangements we had because we realized that our community was sensitive. And so that was his ability to take in what I was telling him from data and use that to guide some marketing decisions, but not use that to make his business decisions, right? Or not use that to, to, to dictate his relationship with his customer, which another huge lesson learned there. So just really about staying fluid and pivoting and being open to possibilities and not just being, you know, looking at things this way. Yes, yes. Well, I think 2020 taught us all that <laughs> across the board. <laughs> yes. You know, that word pivot, I'm like, Ugh. And so tell us. Go ahead. I was just gonna no, mention, go ahead. somebody gave me this example somewhere mid 2020 and it stuck with me a lot. I always thought about pivoting as like, we are here and we, we turn, right? We, we pivot. Um, and we use that word in the horse world a lot. And in the horse world, a pivot means that the back foot is planted and they, they turn on the back foot. Right. And so I had this visual of staying where you are, but changing course. And somebody mentioned to me, I wish I could give them credit because I don't remember who it was, but, um, they said to truly pivot in business, you have to be willing to change direction and move forward and go and do. And I was like, oh, sure. so good. So good. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like you said, it's take action, go do, keep it moving. Yep. You have to. Forward. Have to. And I see so many examples, you know, of amazing, you know, like, you know, consultant agency, um, SDJ. I mean, I've had so many incredible dare to achieve so many incredible examples in front of me in 2020 of businesses that were able to thrive during such a really, really challenging time. So yes. that speaks volumes, yes. you know, about the personality too. So there's two things. Um, cause I, I definitely want to get to the horses. Cause I'm fascinated about that, but before we move to the horses, so what do you think are the marketing trends, you know, moving, moving forward? I know they're going to change, but you know, where we are now, what do you great, think the trends are? Great question. Um, the one, if I could give one trend that I think is a tried and true, you will not, you will not regret putting some focus on this one. It is to build and grow your own audience. And what I mean is an email or a text list. Right. So depending on your business, the style, the industry, et cetera, again, lessons from 2020, we've known that email marketing has stayed a strong tool for years. And as other social platforms have come along, email marketing has still stayed as a strong staple in marketing. But after looking at the way 2020 was, after looking at how consumer behavior shifted, after, I mean, social media platforms are always changing and typically not in the favor of business owners. If I could point anyone to a trend, it is to focus on building your own, an audience that you own, right? Mm -hmm. When you get an email address, you have that email address and you can email that person into infinity until they say, no, thanks. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, that's very different than having a follow on Facebook or having a follow on Instagram or, 
um, you know, a, a follower on Clubhouse. Those things are great tools, great tools to have, and you, we should keep using them. But I would tell anyone moving forward in their marketing, make email growth a, a core pillar in what you are doing moving forward. And you'll have to pivot on how that works, right? How you attract them, the lead magnets that you use, what you're using your email list to do. Those are the pivots you have to make, but growing an email list will serve you forever. I mean, I keep hearing that over and over and over again. And I, I agree because like you said, you own the email list. If you're on Facebook or Instagram, they can you know, shut you down tomorrow. And as a business, um, they, the algorithms, like my business page, like only 2% of my followers see it because of that. So I agree with you that having, um, growing your email list and owning it is, yeah, definitely, I think not just for 2021, but moving forward, period. Well, I, what you're doing in Dare to Achieve is a perfect example, right? Because we are continuing to test how do you serve your audience while growing that list, right? Um, before we had come on with you, you had some things like lead magnets, right? You had some enter your email in order to get this thing. And since we've been working with you, you've started to do um, workshops, right? And webinars, and you're collecting email addresses from that. So there's really great, I mean, the sky is the limit in terms of how you grow and build that, how you deliver value through that. It's just do it. Totally. And what, you know, I want my, our audience to know that it, it grows slow, you know, it, it grows, um, it, you know, I don't want to use the word slowly, but not to get discouraged if you don't see, you know, 10, you know, 10 new people on your email list, you know, every day, but just keep at it, you know, keep doing lead magnets, keep being out there um, and it, it'll come, it'll grow. Yep, absolutely. So I freaking love the fact that you have this, you know, horse announcing hobby career. I'm fascinated by it and I love the the backstory. So can you share a little bit about that with our audience? Absolutely. Growing up, my father was a, for the first half of my life, my father was a professional horse trainer. So when I was born, we had 30 acres of land in rural upstate New York, rolling hills, pastures everywhere. We had 25, 50 horses in the barn. We had 50 horses in the pastures. Like I grew up on a farm and super cool way to grow up, by the way. Very, very cool experiences. Um, Especially with the horses. What's that? Especially with the horses because they're so mystical. Yes. They're very relational animals. I mean, growing up on a horse farm is very different than a crop farm or a cow farm or, a, you know, those kind of things. So yes, very, very cool experience. Uh, and, and to me, when somebody's like, oh, I grew up on a farm too, like we grew crops, I'm like, what? Like, what? my husband grew up at, from a farming family and like, it's foreign to me, completely foreign. Um, so growing up, my dad was a horse trainer. So my parents were very entrepreneurial in that nature as well. As I got into my teen years, my father got very involved at the um, executive level of the sports organization. So just like basketball has the NBA, right? And uh, football has the NFL horse sports have those as well. And the particular sport that he competed in, it's called reining, R-E-I-N, like the horse reins. Mm -hmm. And it's a Western style horse sport. It comes from the ranching lifestyle and the things that your horse on the ranch would do. A very natural, fun sport. Uh, he got very involved in that sport. He was competing very heavily in that sport. And 
as I became a teenager, he got involved at the national organization level. It's called the NRHA, National Reigning Horse Association, and started to um, get involved in judging and producing shows. So he became a certified judge. He began to teach judges and run his own shows. Was a teenager, <laughs> they told me that they needed to hire someone and that I was the perfect fit. And I guess the youthful, I didn't even think about it as entrepreneurial, literally until this moment. But the idea of like doing some things and getting paid, I, yeah, like I'm in for that. Yeah. Count, me in. Count me in. I mean, cause you're, you're a kid, right? So like I was 12, 13, 14, like I'm there anyways, cause my parents are there. I'm doing the work because my parents are saying, hey, go do this thing, right? And so now you're offering me pay. Like, yes, I will take that. <laughs> there you go, doing what you love and getting paid for it. That's right, yes. And so I started doing that as a teenager and they called it a gopher, which I thought was a technical term and it just meant go for the coffee go for the, yeah. um, as I reached 15, 16 years old, I started to scribe, which is where you sit next to the judge and you write scores down so that the judge never stops looking at the, at the horse, at the competition. It's very similar to, um, figure skating. There's one person doing a pattern. The judges are ranking with numbers, you know, at the end, they hold up a 10, mm -hmm. um, similar concept. So I started scribing, which was, you know, normally scribes are in their twenties or thirties. They're, they're very, you know, it's, it's very mathematical, um, but my dad trusted me to do it. So he put me in those roles. I started create, creating great relationships. I was 19 years old and I was at a horse show. I was, in, I was a freshman in college and I was hired to do a horse show uh, that was in my college town, a big horse show. It was a five-day show, wow. big money. There was probably 60 or $70,000 in, in prize money to be given out. And it's the day before the show and the I'm there to scribe. I was there to like be grunt labor, you know, deliver shavings, do the do the college work, and then to scribe once the, the show started. The day before the show, the announcer doesn't show up. Now in the horse world, in the sports world, you fly in announcers from everywhere across the country, right? That's a that's kind of the core of the event. They're the ones that keeps things rolling. And <laughs> the show producer was like, Chelsea. Like, we don't have anybody else that knows this stuff like you do. You grew up in it. You hear what they're supposed mm. to say. Like, call some people in this town. You live here, right? And and get somebody. And if you can't, it's you. And I was like, I was 19. Like, what? I'm not announcing. Long story short, I call all the people that I can think of. I call people to find people. I call from like three states away. Anybody who was in driving distance. If you could get here in six hours, I was calling you. And nobody was available for a next day. Like, no, absolutely not. <laughs> That was a manifestation event for you, girl. A thousand percent. It, yes, yes. I look back to that experience and um, I'm so grateful for number one, the manager who was, saw enough potential in me to trust me, you know, to trust me on a microphone. Um, and, and he was right. I mean, it didn't take me long, an hour or two to get the cadence. So a lot of people, when I tell them what they do, they think that I'm a commentator. I'm not a commentator. So I'm the announcer. So think about the person at the, you know, if you go to a football game or a basketball game, you typically have both. You have the announcer who's telling you the stats, right? Oh, number 47 got the rebound and shot the two point shot, right? Like those are the stats. Those are the, the factual things. And then you've got the commentator that says, oh man, he, he ducked low to get that rebound and look at his agility. And, you know, they'll make a comment about his wife and how she's dressed today. That's not me, right? Like, <laughs> I am not the commentator. I am the announcer. So I'm announcing who's competing, what horse they're riding, the breedings of the horses, the scores that they get. 
And there is a layer of ad lib, of course, that goes in there, but commentators are much more, you know, the personality and flair. And um, so anyways, I am the announcer and it was, it was an unbelievable experience. I remember every mistake that I made at that horror show, Grace, oh. every mistake, every, but it's, it's stuck with me because have I made those mistakes again? Sure yeah. haven't. Well, sure. there's no, there's no, well, mistakes, there's no failure. It's only feedback. So like, you, right. said, mistake just, you know, it taught you. I, I, on a Facebook live, I saw you announcing and I was like, oh my God, that's so awesome. Can you give our audience maybe just a snippet of what it sounds like? Sure. Um, all right. So I'm going to use, use you as an example. So, um, if you, if you had a horse, what would you name your horse, Grace? Majestic. I love it. Okay. So what I would do would sound something like, so I have two, I have two opportunities that I turn the microphone on in the beginning when you enter the arena and then at the end when you get the score. So I'll, I'll give you two examples. I got my, I got a, I got a microphone right here. I'll, I'll pretend that, that I'm mic'd up. Next to her, draw 27 is number 499, Grace Redman riding Majestic. Majestic is sired by Spook's Got a Gun and out of She's Done It Good. And then I would let you walk in the ring and do your thing. And then at the end, when you get the winning score, right? 232, I'm gonna turn back to my, I'm gonna let the crowd cheer. Then I'm gonna say, all right, let's give a big round of applause for Grace Redmond again. She was riding 247 Majestic. We're getting the scores in from your judges now. 232 and one half. <laughs> I love it. Crowd goes wild. I love it. I'm gonna come to one of those shows one time. Like you let me know, cause I would love to come and it'd be so fun. Absolutely. I, I realize, you know, I guess it's like so many um, of us in any regard of business, right? We do what we do and we think that what we do is so obvious to everyone. And so when I'm on the microphone, to me, that's like, all I'm doing is pressing a microphone button and talking. There's nothing interesting about that. But I have in the last year or two started to do it more on social media where I'll turn on a Facebook live and just let it go while I'm talking. And it's created such a cool a talking point and people are like man I love to see you announcing and I never would have thought that they would have you know anybody would have liked to see it so I certainly do um want to show a little bit more of it you know just in everything that I'm doing I love it thank you so much for today that was so fun and thank you for sharing with our audience how you know you live this fun and fabulous life because that's super fabulous <laughs> And so for anyone who's interested or maybe has, you know, wants to learn a little bit more about marketing or what you do, what's the best way for them to reach you? Absolutely. The best way to touch base with me is literally drop me an email or drop me a social media DM. My email is chelsea at consultment.agency. Very simple. Uh, you can find me on social media under my um, full name or my username. So Chelsea Sutton, username on most everything personally is at C-I-M forgiven, all spelled out C as in Chelsea, I am forgiven. And then consultant, which you're talking to me or part of our team, you're talking to real people at consultant on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You can find us pretty easy on any of those. Awesome. I've enjoyed working with you guys. You guys have been amazing. And it's not even like, uh, it's, Yes, you're my marketing team, but I feel like you're my friends. It's awesome <laughs> to be working with your friends. So it I love is. it. It's, 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 been, it's been amazing. You're, you're definitely amazing. And how far you've come and what you've achieved is, is um, awesome. So I look forward to continuing to see you grow the agency. Thank you so much. I appreciate you being a part of our growth. And we feel the same. Uh, we work with people that we love to work with. And you're certainly one of them.
Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks, Grace. Thank you guys so much for joining. Yes, thank you. And thank you guys so much for joining us today and hearing about the amazing Chelsea Sutton. We appreciate you and look forward to connecting with you again soon on the next Real Talk. Hey love, thank you so much for listening today. I am so grateful for you. I'd like to show you my appreciation by gifting you a free forgiveness self-hypnosis audio download. Part of living the fun and fabulous life is practicing forgiveness. Forgiveness can be such a long and challenging process. My intention is that this forgiveness audio will help you in practicing forgiveness, especially with yourself. Grab it by visiting daretoachieve.com backslash forgiveness. For more inspiring tips, make sure to connect with me on social media. Drop me a line on Facebook or Instagram at Grace Redmond Dare to Achieve. Until next time, keep moving forward towards living your fabulous life.